Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, and I'm sitting here today with Anna Bryant and Scott Reel. And it's good to be back, isn't it, guys? It is. Hello. It's been a minute. Are you guys, are you guys paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. It is. And today's episode is entitled uh, Grieving the Past to Reach for the Future. Grieving the past to reach for the future. Um, I want to ask you a question to start this off. What losses have you had in your life that you've been unable to grieve fully? Um, We all potentially and possibly have some grief that is unresolved. And you might ask the question, why grieve? Why would you be asked to grieve? Why would we encourage you in that? Because I think we're all discovering that many problems in our lives can stem from unresolved grief. But those who grieve well, we're learning live well. Because the healing process of grieving helps return us to wholeness. Scott, you say um, almost all people have some form of unresolved grief. Uh, What what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, we live in a society that does not understand grief very well at all. It's a consumer-driven society. It's all about getting things, replacing things keeping things and reality is in life is far more about loss than anything because if you think about it from the moment you're born all the way through life nothing stays the same we move away we grow up people we love animals pets everything eventually goes away Um, so life is so full of loss and then there's loss of dreams and hopes and what we would hoping life would be like then these things don't materialize and so we we can get stuck in our grief, and we don't even know it. And I would think that most people are not even aware of that it's unresolved loss and grief that they're struggling with that's causing a lot of their troubles in life, and they don't understand that. And so this is a big part of Journey to Freedom is introducing people at this part of the process to see what have they lost that is unresolved. And the National Grief Institute refers to... um, How do I know I have unresolved loss? It's those things in our life that we still wish would have been better, different, or more. It's not resolved. And the way that we resolve loss is we must complete all communication around a loss. And so that takes um, a community. It takes insights, and it takes work. And, um, And so helping people finally resolve these losses Freeze them up to, because you, as we'll talk about later in the different stages of grief, you can get stuck in any of those stages for decades, and not, or you just keep vacillating back and forth because it's just not resolved. And so giving people the understanding and the tools to begin to resolve loss um, is, is going to be a big part of their transformation. Would you say that it's the intentional space because uh, you are saying that we often are unaware of how that unresolved grief is affecting our lives. And I wonder why it's not apparent. Like it does take uh, intentionality and space to pause and to, to work through some of that stuff and to think it through. But why, why do you think it's, you know, just on the surface is not something that we're aware of? I think, I think it has a lot to do with two, two things. One that we are, um, just such a fast paced society. Like we are constantly on the move and on the go and we, um, haven't really been taught how to sit still with our thoughts. Um, it's not really, um, 
it's not really part of the culture we live in. Uh, we're constantly doing or our idea of, you know, when we're not doing, we're kind of distracting, whether that's just keeping ourselves constantly entertained. So we often don't just don't create the space in our schedule and in our hearts and minds to really do some deep reflection. Um, and two, I think, again, our, our definition of grief has been very narrow and it is often surrounded by just like the death of a loved one or that's pretty much when you say grief, that's commonly what is uh, conceived um, by the people in our um, in our society. So understanding that grief and loss really go so much deeper and it has so much to do with anything in life that we wish was different or better or more than we have unresolved grief. Uh, two good friends of mine, Farrah Moore and Cheryl Cook, have written a book called From Hurt to Hope. And they're excellent. They're the ones who introduced to me the concept of Scott, you've got unresolved loss and grief that you need to work on or you're going to struggle in your recovery. And that's what it brought me to this understanding. So they wrote that we are only taught how to strive for success, but we are never taught how to handle loss. Striving to get things and believing we can hold on to them is an illusion. Everything we have in this life will one day be lost. Beloved pets will die. Our parents will likely pass away before we do. We'll have to retire from a job we might love. Moore and Cook write, unresolved emotions from disappointments, losses, and hurts weigh me down, distract me, and hinder my progress. These unresolved emotions sabotage our ability to live fully in the present as God intended. But if we can learn to grieve effectively and appropriately, we can arrive at new beginnings and continue our journey with free hearts. So I just think that that kind of, like what Anna was saying, it just broadens our perspective of just what grief really is. It's the end of anything that was a normal pattern in our life. That's the definition of grief. So think about that. Nothing stays the same. But then there's also things that I think that we see a lot in groups. Uh, people had abuses in their childhoods, um, significant traumas. Those are huge losses. Loss of safety, loss of freedom, um, loss of security, these things affect our lives. And uh, so we have found that this is a great place to introduce this to people so that they can heal their lives. Scott and Anna, um, grief could be something that we're totally unaware of, but it also could be something that we know is there, but we're fearful. And so we don't want to go into that place of grief. And I would imagine that can exhaust us at times, you know, trying not to deal with the underlying grief that is there. We could wear ourselves out trying to protect ourselves from it. But I think what you guys are inviting people to is that there's only one way to truly heal, and that's to, to move into it and to face it. The and only way through it is through it. Yeah. Yeah. Grief accumulates over our lives. It's like imagining a jar, and with each loss, you put another stone in it to all of a sudden can't hold it anymore. And so we might have what seems like an insignificant loss, and all of a sudden I'm just in a full-blown depressed state, and I'm struggling, I'm angry, and I'm, I'm stuck in this spiral of grief and loss I wasn't prepared for. You know what is interesting? Um, you know, we work with women with breast cancer, and um, we've been working with them for years, and um, we they use the Journey to New Beginning, my grief book, and I use Journey to Freedom. And so when they asked, could we write one book specifically just for 
women in recovery for breast cancer. Well, we knew that grief was a big part of what they needed to work through because this massive loss of their health and their life and just imagine anybody getting a cancer diagnosis, the loss. Of, and so I thought that when we went to introduce them to grief and we started looking at the losses of their lives, that this would be this most significant loss. And it wasn't. Wow. It wasn't. And then all of a sudden they started talking about stuff that happened in their childhood and significant traumas and all these other things. And I thought that was such an eye-opener for me, just how poorly we are at uh, dealing with unresolved loss and grief. And just that these these losses that we've had that, you know, uh, many of them, they were that their parents got divorced or how their parent raised them or what have being bullied in school and told that they were this or that. It's just these were the most painful losses. Um, I just thought that was so such an eye opener. So the grief um, initially, whether we're unaware of it or two, we're fearful of what it it's going to what's going to happen to us if we move into it and begin to do like what what do you think is holding people back is it their fear that the grief is going to be so overwhelming because i've heard people talk about how grief is like a wave and you know so if you're gonna if you're standing in the ocean and you're going to try to resist that wave it's like you're going to exhaust yourself um but if you let the wave wash over you you know i think this is what you guys are inviting people to that wave is going to carry you to a new place of healing. But it, it does kind of seem counterintuitive that we move into our pain to find healing from it, right? Right, because nobody wants to relive a painful experience. Like, that is generally human nature. We want to avoid pain however we can. And so um, in order to work through our grief, we have to face that pain and acknowledge it and, and name it. Um, but if we are not able to do that because we're trying to avoid it, we're actually perpetuating the pain. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely. Um, they don't want to bring that back up. They, our society is so systemic. It, if I can distract myself, if I can keep it out of sight, out of mind, that will somehow I can control it. When opening it up and going into it and through it is, it is the most painful and it is the most, um, requires the most effort and energy. And it's a, and many of those places are very dark. For people, they, if I could just not think about it, you know, just recently, um, you know, I tragically lost my favorite dog through a horrible tragedy about three months ago. Um, and I find that that's instinctive for me. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. When, because it keeps coming back, keeps coming back, and I'm fighting it instead of working through it and dealing with it. I'm like, and I have this mindset, oh, it's just, a, it's just a little dog. What is wrong with you, Scott, you know? And yet the reality is it was something that I loved immensely. And, it's, and it is so painful for me to go back and to work through my grief about, about her. And, uh, and I'm like, it is, like Anna said, we just... If I could just distract myself from it, I just don't think about it, it will go away. But it's, it's, it's there. And that's where maybe we help each other. That's why I don't think any human being is meant to go through grief alone. Like, grief is universal, but there's this personal experience of grief. And I've been surprised. You guys do grief groups. I've done grief, grief groups as a pastor. 
and how, you know, you could have someone that has lost a loved one and you could have someone that just lost their job. And, you know, all these different ways of grief and you put people in the room and there's this universal experience of it, but then there's this deeply personal experience. And somehow sharing that with others is so helpful and healing. So I think that's another thing you guys are saying that we should not try to go through grief alone. And, and one of the things that I've seen in these years of working with grief and loss is the most difficult losses that I, that I find people do not want to resolve are losses that involve what they have done, things that they regret, that they did or they didn't do. And um, it's so painful to reflect on something that I did that, that created this massive loss. Um, those are the ones that they don't want to pick up and go through. And is that when you need others? More than ever. Yeah. More than ever. Because, Scott, you say this all the time, when you can share that and be accepted and loved, that's transforming to, to, to how you think about that yourself. Right. It's so healing to just recognize and, and be in the midst of community where, yeah, like maybe you really messed something up badly, um, but to be, again, accepted for that. And also, as others are processing their grief and their stories, recognizing that everybody has um, messed up, everybody's made mistakes, and that doesn't disqualify you from um, being able to grasp hold of that healing or being um, still lovable and worthy of human connection and affection because nobody uh, nobody has the ability to attain perfection. You know, everybody messes up. And the fact that you messed up and that you maybe caused pain and are grieving a loss because of something that you are responsible for does not um, preclude you from, from grace. Yeah, I, so this is an important point for me to the audience, um, to our listeners, that um, one of the stages of grief is depression. And the definition of depression is anger turned inward. And what I've seen, and this is, I think, a big part of the low-level depression that I've struggled with in my life, is that um, I won't forgive myself for mistakes I made or flaws that I made that ended up hurting me and harming and even hurting other people. Um, and just uh, that inability to forgive myself. Um, so I, I, the resentment is turned inward. I resent that I'm not this, and I'm not this, that I, I'm, why didn't I do this? And um, that has contributed so much to the depression that I have struggled with in my life. And I see it in other people. Uh, and that's why forgiveness, we work hard on forgiveness in grief recovery because that is such a catalyst for people. Um, Greenspan talks about in her, in her book that, that grief can be transformed into love and that um, grief is a process of transformation. So giving people that community where they can talk about, I made these mistakes. I, I lost my dreams. I didn't become this or that. And I hurt, you know, people. Um, 
I'm not the man, I'm not the woman that I should have been. And we, and we won't let ourselves off the hook. That's that unforgiveness holding on to the resentment, which is the, re, to me, that fuels the regret. And we become, we're depressed. The power of hearing another person say you're forgiven. One other person has heard your worst and yet they offer you grace. It's hard, it's hard to believe that in, just in your own head and your own heart unless you hear it from another. We did that the other night in group. Mm-hmm. We just went around and, and, and we made a statement, Scott, I forgive you. So we were forgiven ourselves. And yeah, with the, with the presence of other people that are witnessing to that and empathizing through it, it's really a powerful experience. Richard Rohr says, sometimes it is the deep grief we feel during loss that awakens us to the depth and sincerity of love. But to your point, it's hard to experience that if you don't hear it from another. Um, I just had experience this past week where um, I was grieving something and because I thought I was, you know, I was thought I was doing bad in a particular thing. And I had another human being show up. I was like, you're okay. And I was so shocked by their perspective. It kind of shook me out of my own head. And we're like, it is okay. Like, why was that such a deep grief? And so that loving action of another helped pull me out of grief into believing that I can make it and I'm going to be okay. Well, that's, again, where Thompson says there's no greater need for any human being than the experience being fully known. And that help, that happens best in community um, because that's where I experience it. You know, um, I have attention deficit disorder. Hmm, you guys. Wait, what? Have you ever, uh, what was I talking about? Scott, you're not alone in the room with that. There's <laughs> two of us. Well, actually, there's four of us in the room. Josh, Josh does too. So three of us. Anna's the only one. <laughs> Anna hides it well. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I have then realized that a large part of my unresolved grief in my life has been that I am so hard on myself for what I, I'm not, what I'm not. You know, that I'm not smarter with money, I'm not smarter with numbers, um, that I'm not more organized, that I'm not, that I'm not more focused. Those things all come so hard for me. Um, and so... I have, I have that has been a place of loss for me in my life, um, because so much of our society, what to me how it constitutes what a good, successful man is, I don't have any of those qualities. Um, yet I'm very successful in these other places, but the loss of that—I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the the thing that we wish we were that we're not. Oh yeah, that's a that's a painful place, and every human being carries that on on some level. So you can just see how important the discussion is on broadening our horizon to what is involved in loss and grief. This, So I could sit here and tell you what I wish would have been better, different, or more about me and my makeup and my life. And that, it's, it's almost a part of forgiving ourselves and being able to, to move on because unresolved loss and grief prevents us from being fully present in today. And there's a non-dual nature of the heart like that I think we need to say here because you could feel sadness and joy at the same time, right? Like I think when we talk about grief, we just think it's this 
and at times it is. It's this overwhelming dark place, yeah. and so we think to go there that we're going to have to let go of all the other good things. Yeah, good things right. and expression of life. But if you were to ask me at times, am I sad and am I joyful? I would say yes. I'm. I'm. I'm mm-hmm. both. So maybe it's helpful to uh, open our hearts to we can deal with our grief and yet still experience the goodness of life yeah. and you and maybe in fact grief at the same time yeah and maybe in fact being willing to go into the grief will help us experience the joy i think so it'll help us grapple with yeah that life isn't always sunny and it's not always dark uh, we were having grief last week or we're, we're currently running a grief group and it was a little heavy because we were talking about some of those things but then somewhere out of nowhere we all started laughing about something somebody said and like it to me that was just so poignant that like we really can experience joy and grief at the same time like and facing our grief I I think definitely frees us up to experience joy more fully um, in a depth that is very sincere and authentic and not just surface level happiness Um, But I think when we try to suppress our grief and distract ourselves, what we're experiencing is not really always true joy, but maybe more just circumstantial happiness because we're trying to override those grief Mm, feelings. Almost like a a bodyguard. Like I've Mm -hmm. heard grief is, can become like a bodyguard Mm -hmm. and um, we have, we have things in our life that we choose as a bodyguard to, to resist grief. So we could even maybe manufacture joy or happiness in a way to try to protect us from the grief in our life. Is that what you're saying, Anne? Yeah, exactly. Because I think a lot of people might assume de- delving into that, like it's going to be dark, it's going to be heavy, I'm not ever going to get out of it. But you have to go through that and deal with those things in order to get to the other side to experience joy. And there is joy in the grief. Like when we're, we're grieving something, I think it also points to like there is something in our life that we truly valued. Like there's something that was lovable and good and right and worthy and we feel that loss. And so um, even in that, there's goodness, there's, there's love um, in the midst of the grief. So let's turn here, um, because you you started this week off with grieving the past so that you can reach for the future, but then you talk about taking a risk and stepping out of the boat and how we need to take that first step toward change, because this is the last chapter of the book, or last section of the book, and so we're wanting to move into our grief, but then begin to talk about what it means to bring the kind of change into our life. So so Scott, how do we, how do we take that step out of the boat well the story of peter walking on the water is just one of the is a classic example of how um he's in a boat and whatever that boat is for us that seems secure that he's clinging to in a storm um and then jesus comes walking on the water in the middle of the storm middle of the night and they're scared and so he says jesus if it's you tell me to come Come and get out of the boat and come to you. And Jesus says, Peter, come. And Peter does. He gets right out of the boat, defies all logic, and he walks on the water to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Peter takes his eyes off Christ, and and his logic takes over. He sees the storm. He sees the darkness. He sees the water. He knows the physical laws of life. 
and he begins to sink. And, I, and I, when I, I thought of that story, it was perfect for the end of the book because that's what we're going to do. We're going to start looking at the problem again and all the overwhelming facts involved in that. And our logic is going to tell us there's no way I can change. There's no way I can overcome these things. I, this is, it's just, it's just no way. And then Jesus grabs Peter, holds him up. Says, Peter, you know, why'd you doubt? Keep, keep your focus right here. And that takes us back to Prochaska's model, which we started the book from, that what finally moves us out of contemplation where we have the, the forthright conviction, I'm going to change, I'm going to move forward, is he says we're focusing on the solution instead of the problem. And that's exactly the message of this story with Peter. When he focuses on the solution, which is Christ and his spiritual growth and, and the power of transformation, he's going to make it. But, but if he focuses on the problem, the storm, the water, the, all these things, we all, we all will start to go down again. And we'll fall back into our old patterns. So it's really important to sustain this process. I've got to stay focused on the solution. And Jesus being the metaphor of that there is healing, there's something on the other side of this painful thing that I'm experiencing. And um, if I can stay focused, so you're like, you're taking Jesus and the solution Jesus is a solution for a lot of people, but if Jesus isn't the paradigm or the lens that you see through, there is a more healing, helpful path that you want to stay focused on. Yeah, you think about that. Jesus says, Peter, why did you doubt? We're talking here about belief. When, you know, you know, do you believe that I have the power to transform your life? And, and that is a reality. Um, that changes everything. Or do I believe in the problem, which is so insurmountable? It's just, you know. And I, what I was telling somebody yesterday is that I believe that uh, logic is, this, is centered in the ego, which is I'm in control. And that is just what keeps us stuck versus faith in Christ believing that he has a power that's greater than me, he can do for me what I cannot do for myself, and it's beyond anything I can experience, and, it, and that's where I'm going to place my trust, I'm going to place my life. Um, that's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And you talk about perseverance, the strength to finish the race, and Anna, maybe you could speak to this, but patience is the main ingredient for perseverance. <laughs> um, uh, not, not not the one that uh, maybe some of us are hopeful for. Um, so often it's a it's a process to to continue to move into this place of of healing. So it's, it's not a um, it's not a formula. It's a process, and um, processes take time. Uh, I love one of the quotes in the book, and it says, anytime we try to change something, we can expect some level of discomfort. And so I think it's really important for us to engage our patients knowing that, okay, change is not magical, it's not quick, it's not instantaneous. It takes time and effort and perseverance. And 
we should walk into that process like expecting to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think that helps us to be patient through the process to know like this isn't supposed to be easy, but good things seldom come easy in life. So just, yeah, grit your teeth and <laughs> ready to show up each day and, and face whatever challenge it is, knowing that um, you have to go through it to get to the other side. You know, I heard this t- today that um, this door of hope, this door of hope, um, Christ is <clears throat> that door of hope for us. And that hope is that I think what in all these 20-some years of doing this work, what people really are hoping for is that they can change, that they can change, that there can be a rebirth, that there really can be a new beginning. Um, that's, I think that's what we all hope for and long for. And the reality is it's true, but it comes through the personal journey of transformation through this process with Christ. It's just, it is a spiritual journey. It's been that way for thousands of years and it will continue to be. There isn't any job, there isn't any new relationship, there isn't any new house. These things are all just, I consider them distractions. It's the inner journey that sets me free and transforms me into the, to who my true self is. And then that person will find the right job, the right relationship. In the book, you, you, you wrote this. You said, when I hit rock bottom, I wanted God to take away the pain. That's just a natural human instinct, isn't it? Then I understood God's invitation, and slowly I began to turn homeward toward him. I realized that my journey was no longer about stopping the pain or having a better life, even though it ended up being a new life. But I discovered an incredibly loving God who had captured my heart. That's what you're saying here, that there is something in the process of this that we find that there is a loving, graceful presence that, that, that holds us and cares for us and we can trust in. That's what May says in Addictions and Grace. He says that we all enter into recovery through trans- the transformational process, through an intrinsic motivation. It's some kind of pressure. We've, we're in trouble. We're, we're struggling. But in that journey... That voice keeps inviting us to come home. And that is when the intrinsic motivation is born. Uh, and, I, and that's why I always use the phrase, intrinsic hope enters my life. Um, it's no longer tied to any external circumstances. It's an internal hope, an internal motivation that, uh, that's intrinsically driven. That, um, and, and May says, it's, uh, we're no longer asking God just to help me with this problem but I'm saying yes to him, you know, to this relationship, that this is the most important thing in life. And that's, that is the definition of transformation. That's so powerful. Let me, you guys, I want to end with a question to both of you guys. Um, and they're from the words of Jesus. Um, because I know, Scott, that is the impetus of this book, that it's the central question that Christ if we were to hear Christ say, do we want to be made well? How will we be made well? That's how this whole book starts. And the thread through this is that Christ has been that paradigm for you that has guided you toward more freedom and healing and hope. And um, so the thread of that is all throughout this book. And so 
uh, he uses these words, and when we're talking about the struggle for freedom, he says, come to me, all you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. I wonder what that means to each of you, um, to hear Jesus say that. Come to me, all you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. George, are you reading my mail? <laughs> <laughs> I was not intentionally. <laughs> read your mind. Uh, yeah, no, this this is life and hope for me because I am currently in probably one of the greatest... Uh, no, not what I, I am undoubtedly in the middle of one of the greatest seasons of struggle in my life. And uh, if I were to elaborate on the number of heavy loads that this girl is carrying right now, um, it just might make your heart hurt a little bit. But I know that God is with me and he is giving me rest and he is carrying those loads for me. Um, and so when I get overwhelmed and I just want to quit, I, um, can come back to this just as a place of solace for me that, um, he will give me the rest that I'm, that I need and that he will help me carry these loads. Um, and he will bring people alongside to encourage and help. And I have seen it over and over and over again in my life. And so I know it to be true, but on those days when it's heavy and it's hard to remember, I'm glad to have that, like just that text to, to go back to and know that, yep, it's heavy, but I don't have to carry it alone. Now, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And Scott, I know you know exactly what she's saying, but there may be some listeners who the Jesus paradigm isn't just how they, you know, they see the world. And you can almost we all three of us in this room, we know what that feels like to have this sense of help and grace. And, you know, to some people that just might sound like Scott, George and Anna have an imaginary friend, you know, (laughs) and, but the truth is, is that we've all experienced a very real, powerful, loving grace in our life that we've experienced through these kinds of words of Jesus and we've all found rest. But I just wonder what that, what that means for you, Scott, because it is so central to the book. You know, the, the last, since 2020, the last three years, um, have been the most difficult years of my life by far, kind of like Anna's referring to. I mean, um, whatever I was holding on to that was outside of that belief that, I could trust Christ with my life. Um, <clears throat> I was, you know, it was tested. And uh, I, as I, that saying, the dark night of the soul, I, I faced it. It was the first time I really, really hit rock bottom. Um, and I had to face that question, do I really trust and believe that I can place all this, my life in Christ's Because this, I mean, I'm in my 60s, so this, you know, I know what season of life I'm in. I know there's a, I'm running out of time. And um, I, I've, I have found that um, I was, there was no other place to go but to face, do I believe, just like Peter, I started looking around at everything. I'm like, gosh, it's over. You know, I, I missed it. And that is a, 
dark feeling late in life. Because I don't have a chance to, I don't think I have enough time to redeem it. And then what I found was Christ saying, we can make a new beginning right here, right now. It's never too late. And uh, I have something for you. But this one thing has to be there first, and that is it. You take my hand, and you really, really come to believe that I can take care of you and that I will take care of you and all these things. And I did that. I did that. I had to let go of everything. And I finally, um, and I'm not saying that those urges don't still rear their, you know, their heads sometimes and say, hey, what about me, you know? Um, but I know now more than ever that I believe that there is a caring and loving God who I can put my trust in and who will care for me. And that does not mean that I will not suffer, that I will not have loss, that I will not have disappointments and be hurt by life. Um, these things will happen, but there's something beneath it all now that I know that I know is there and will give me rest. And I can um, just fall in those arms. Um, but I find it easiest to hold on to that when I stay connected through community. So grief can awaken strength then. That, that's what we're saying, that there is a strength on the other side of grief. Um, there's something helpful. Um, and so a new sense of compassion, a new sense of direction. But can you guys speak to just what is on the other side of grief that we can look forward to? I would say for me, a huge element of that would be empowerment. Um, once we've kind of grieved some of our losses and understanding that we don't have to live how we always have, um, that our life can be different moving forward, um, and that we do have the power to rise above and change maybe some of the dysfunctional responses that we have um, been implementing as coping strategies for uh, for our life and that we can lay down what no longer serves us well and pick up new and healthy patterns. We really are so much more open to just full, meaningful, joyful life. Um, that we're so much more whole. Um, and again, like we said, it doesn't mean that life will be perfect or that it will be without struggle, but I think we're so much more present to it. We are so much more, there's so much more of us that we can give to being fully alive. Um, and to me, that's the most hopeful feeling. I think it was Richard Rohr that wrote, I think we'll keep quoting him today, but he said, for those of us who have gone through it and come out on the other side, it's like there's a whole new life there. Um, the way that God created us, we are we need, as humans, something to live for, to live forward into, to look forward to. And um, unresolved grief keeps us stuck back there. And it's very hard to look forward to something new, to, to even to make. So it's almost like what we were talking about the other day, George, the kenosis. I finally empty out all those things I've been stuck to. And then now the theosis divine can begin to pour in something new. So a new meaning and purpose for life, a vision will emerge. That's why, again, without a vision, people will, will perish. I mean, we need a vision. We need to have something that we're looking forward to, an exemplary cause. Uh, and when I have that, 
um, that zest for life comes pouring back in. Um, I think that's even why so many people, when they're sick, they're grieving. Will I ever be normal? And when they, and that, that can actually hold them back if they stay focusing on how bad they're feeling versus looking forward to when they're well and when they feel good again. Um, so resolving grief awakens in me all new possibilities, no matter what stage of life I'm at. Again, George, you know the verses, the young men will dream dreams. And, no, young men will have visions and old men will dream new dreams. Um, I love that old men will dream new dreams. Um, and it's true. I'm not old until I don't have a dream. But when I have a dream, youth and vitality just comes pouring back. So grief ultimately takes us to a new place. And that's called transformation. Well, friends, uh, you've heard it from uh, Anna and Scott, and we just want you to know that the journey to freedom is about new beginnings. Grief can take us to new places and, and new beginnings. And whether you're a person of faith or whether you're agnostic or even an atheist, um, even good psychology teaches that grief actually leads to healing. So it's something that we should trust more deeply. But wherever you are, Whatever your age, um, wherever you've been, the best part of your life can start now. That's the message that we want you to hear. So visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about online groups and in-person groups you can participate in. But until we gather back here, uh, again, friends, take care.